Hey, it's Chris, and welcome to, I almost said the after party, but let's just say the podcast. Uh, I know, I know it's been longer than you want, longer than I want since the last episode, but uh, in my defense, it has been really busy. You know, we wrapped up one Apple event, we're squished in between because WWDC is coming up, and uh, I made like a superhuman effort to get out a whole bunch of content and did a good job around that last event, and then I just took my you know, foot off the, the gas a little bit um, and kind of caught up and, and spent some extra time um, going hands-on uh, with other things, not just the iPad Pro. But also, I don't know if you caught the video yet, uh, I just put up my iMac review and that was the orange iMac. And I felt like that was uh, fun. It was fun to do something different, not just iPad. I'm glad that Apple sent that over. Of course, um, I didn't get it with the first batch of re review units that went out, uh, like I did with the iPad. Uh, it's funny how things work out sometimes, but I'm I'm glad, I'm thankful that they sent that over, um, that I was able to share that with you guys, my thoughts, my opinions. Looking back over the last, I don't know, 10 videos or so, obviously a lot of them were iPad Pro related, but I stuck out a really great uh, Mac Apps video. It's called 20 Plus Next Level Mac Apps. If you missed it and you have a Mac, please take some time to go check it out. Uh, it's underperforming in the views department, even though all the comments are just saying this is pure gold. And I tend to agree. It, it was, I put a lot of effort into that. And in the past, a lot of my Mac apps videos have done so very well. And I just think the iPad has just taken over the channel for, for good or bad at the moment to where most of the new subscribers expect and want to see iPad content. But I'm gonna balance it out, of course, I'm gonna publish other things. So if you do have a Mac and you want some new apps, man, there's some good ones there. So check it out. I also published uh, a video on some MagSafe accessories. So the iPhone crowd's not left out. I also gave uh, kind of a follow-up, you know, review to my iPhone 12 Pro Max. So the six months later video, and I kind of uh, compared it to the iPhone 12 and asked myself, did I make the right decision by getting the Max versus the 12? And I showed off that new purple iPhone in there. And you know this goes. This takes us back to the AirTags unboxing uh, video and testing video. So I think it's safe to say I put up a variety of content, even if uh, a lot of it is iPad stuff. And the iPad stuff is what gets the majority of views right now. And this podcast has been in the back of my head. I'm like, man, I want to do it. Last week I really wanted to do it. I didn't want to skip. I just I wasn't able to to actually get it done. And I was kind of sad about that because I enjoy it too. Let me tell you guys about some of the stuff that's been showing up here at the office. And this might be kind of a preview of some upcoming stuff for the channel. First of all, uh, let me address. A lot of people were asking in my iPad keyboards comparison video where I compared the Logitech Combo Touch to the official white Magic Keyboard from Apple. There was uh, an Apple Pencil cover in there that makes it look like a number two yellow pencil. Gives you some grip, it's a different feel. I showed it in the video. I didn't mention I didn't even link to it. It was just kind of there as a prop for, for the visuals. It was kind of cool. But a lot of people were asking about it. That came from Elago, E-L-A-G-O, if you want to look it up. Uh, I think it's pretty new. I don't know. Maybe it's been around for a while. But they were a sponsor recently. And they didn't send me that. But I was on their website and I saw that. And I ordered it for myself because I was like, whoa, that looks cool. And I know the iPad people will appreciate it. And sure enough, you guys were asking about it. So that's what it is. It's only like 12 bucks. It's under 15 for sure. And so it's been enjoyable. It's it's a nice visual upgrade. So if you're looking for a fun new iPad accessory, you can check that out. I have a 77 inch LG C1 TV that just came yesterday. This is also gonna be part of a sponsorship. Uh, I have a C1 already upstairs. This is gonna live in the basement. The C1 is more or less like the nicest LG OLED TV that they make. I mean, they make uh, one that's, I think it's like 82 inches or something. I don't think it's 85, a slightly bigger. You can go a little bit bigger. And you know, they make some rollable prototype, you know, displays and stuff too. But I mean, really for, for most people, like this is the top end TV that you would be looking at from LG. I got it set up last night. I did it all by myself actually. Um, not because there was no one else to help. It's just because I couldn't wait to get it unboxed. And actually, it's funny, the delivery person, uh, someone had given them the wrong address, and they went way across the other side of town. And uh, it was they like, you know, they needed a signature for this. So I was like, you know, 
today would work the best. And he went out of his way and he got it here because it was so big. It had to come like via freight. It was not something that just UPS is going to deliver. So I got that set up and including taken out of the box, mounted to the stand and then lifted up onto the TV stand all by myself. Uh, my wife was like, so at what point did the hernia occur? <laughs> I think she heard me like grunting and groaning from downstairs. I felt like my bottom hand was about to snap off uh, from holding this thing. So it was huge. And I was worried about uh, hurting the display, but I did it. And so far, I'm really impressed. I ordered a, a new HDMI 2.1 uh, cord because the one that I had, I don't think was. And some of the test content uh, was looking a little disappointing in terms of it just wasn't uh you well you know you know the situation with youtube and on the apple tv um you don't always get 4k and, and whatever so anyways but i got that cable coming can't wait for that to come uh there's some really cool technology on this tv apart from just being really thin when i was setting it up it gave me this option for almost like a pseudo 3d surround sound experience and that was really impressive so you could toggle it on and off just to kind of see how it was. And that was really, really, really cool. So I left that on because I don't have a, a surround sound system set up downstairs. In fact, the last time I had a surround sound, I think it was an LG system, if I'm not mistaken, uh, with, you know, the subwoofer and 5.1, you know, surround. I sold that and I, I got rid of it, which I kind of regret. So anyways, I'll, I'll be using that built in um, pseudo surround for now. But Despite being such a thin thing, it's a little bit thicker towards the base, and the sound is actually, you know, more impressive than I would have thought. Kind of like the sound on the iMac is more impressive than I think people would expect due to the thinness. Well, yeah, same thing with this TV. Like, there was actually some bass. It was pretty cool. And the other thing was um, it had some visual enhancements, too, that it could do using some AI technology, it looked like. And it kind of just sharpens up things like faces. Or, or just images, I guess. The, the demo was a face. You know, some people may not like that. I thought it looked really neat, so I left that on too. But I'm testing that out, so that's fun. I'll have a video about that coming up. And so that, like I think I mentioned in a recent podcast, will be sort of like getting back into uh, the daily tech of years ago when I did talk more about TVs and Xboxes, Playstations, other things other than Apple stuff. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. Something else that showed up at the P.O. Box was uh, something from Line Dock. This is a Mac accessory. I'd never heard of this company. Um, of course, they sent an email, and I don't usually handle all the incoming email, but uh, we arranged it within the company for them to send this over. Sometimes I do have um, companies send stuff our way that you know has nothing to do with the sponsorship. It's just like, hey, there's a cool product. Can we send it to you? And you can check it out, talk about it if you want to if it's good enough to be featured, if you have time. And as long as people understand the arrangement, like I'm not promising to cover this, but you can send it. And if it is something that I like and want to recommend, I'll put it on the channel, potentially, if there's time. And so this is one of those. I had never heard of this. It's, it's, like, it's like someone took the bottom half of a MacBook Pro without the screen and just made a dock out of that. So your actual MacBook Pro sits on this thing. It's about the same thickness it looks like. I haven't even taken it out of the box yet. Gives you a ton of extra ports while look matching the look and feel of your MacBook, by the way. And also has some storage. This model that they sent has two terabytes of storage included, which is pretty cool. So I'm looking forward to testing that out. And speaking of storage, if you follow me on Twitter, which is at DailyTech, DailyTEKK on Twitter, you might have seen me talking to uh, Chris Lolly, who makes a lot of great iPad content, because there was a drive that I saw on Apple's website that's a Thunderbolt 3 drive. It's a G-RAID drive from uh, G Technology, and it's a 12 terabyte storage solution. And I needed an external storage solution for my Mac anyways, just for video stuff. But with my review of the iPad Pro coming up, I also wanted something that was enormous like that, that maybe could work with the iPad Pro because that has Thunderbolt 3 as well. So I ordered two things. Um, so this is just as kind of a preview of what's coming up with this iPad Pro review. I got the Samsung X5 drive, which they kind of market it like uh, a sports car. And so it's, uh, <laughs> it's, almost, it's almost like overdone the marketing for this drive, but it's 
very sleek, you know, kind of sophisticated looking. The reflection, you know, on this shiny surface is a car, if you look carefully. So um, it's meant to just signify that it's very fast because Thunderbolt 3, that's where you're getting really fast transfer speeds. And that's new to the iPad Pro. And it's going to matter to people who are doing, you know, photo edits, video edits, anything with big, large file sizes, especially because LumaFusion, for instance, is going to unlock the ability to let you uh, edit off the hard drive of your iPad, I think for the first time. So you can edit on an external drive, which is going to be really cool. So anyways, I ordered both of those. Um, it's about a thousand dollars worth of storage kind of hurt. Didn't really want to pull that trigger because like storage is, is boring, right? I've been getting by without this for this long, but I did want to show that off and let you guys know about it because I've been saying for a couple of videos, hey, you know, this X5 drive, I'm ordering it. Um, I think I even linked it up in case you guys want to get a jump on it. And uh, you could have even ordered it ahead of me, but it is finally incoming. And anyways, the, the G-RAID drive, the 12 terabyte, I'm not 100% sure that that's going to work with the iPad. I called, well, I texted Apple support and they said it was, even though on the website, they said it, it's supported for the fourth gen iPad Pro. And of course, the new one is the fifth gen. But if the fourth one supported, you would think the fifth one would be, but you can't be sure. And if you're spending like 600 bucks or something on this, it actually listed for 700 or something. I got it for hundred bucks off on Amazon. You want to be sure. Um, and like I said, even if it doesn't work with the actual iPad Pro, I, I'm going to be using it from a Mac anyways. But I ended up actually getting transferred to some phone support at Apple, somebody in the USB division or department, I guess. And they assured me that this was going to work on the iPad Pro. So anyways, a lot of stuff's coming together for this iPad video. It's going to be really good. I'm excited about the review. And that's part of why I only got one video out this week is because I've kind of been doing some pre-work for that video. And I know it's going to be an important one for the audience. So I just want to make sure that I'm testing the things that you guys care about. And uh, well, I would just want to pack it full of as much value as I can. Consequently, uh, one of the things I can just let you know is that I've been working with a couple of app developers um, to get some files and even in on some of the beta software uh, for the iPad Pro to hopefully show off what it can do in a way that I couldn't do if I hadn't been working with these particular developers. So that should be fun. And then, of course, I asked you guys, what do you want me to test? So that should be fun, too. And I got some accessories coming. So anyways, it should be good. I will say, though, regarding that storage, the reason that it's kind of a conundrum is, OK, if people are going to get serious, let's just take video editing. I know people get sick of me talking about video editing, but I'm a video editor. So, you know, substitute whatever pro thing that you're going to want to do if you're a cat artist or graphic designer, whatever it is. But when I'm video editing on the Mac in Final Cut Pro, the file size for one library, so for one video, because I organize every video into its own library so I can just delete it and everything is self-contained within that library and it's real easy to you know move around or delete uh, instead of just doing events. Anyways, not to bog down. Uh, I looked at the last one, which is for the iMac video, and that was something like 1.3 something terabytes just for that library. So my MacBook Pro has four terabytes of onboard storage which was expensive. Anytime you get Apple storage, the upgrades internally, it's more expensive than getting external, but then it's more convenient too, because you don't have to drag an external drive around with you. So there's benefits. Okay. So follow me here, you know, not quite two terabytes. That doesn't leave a whole lot of room for just other apps and, uh, you know, storage on my iPad pro, even the max out one, which only maxes out at two terabytes of internal storage. And that's the version that I got. And I actually have two uh, iPad Pros here. Well, three actually of the new version, my own personal and then uh, the two review units. One's a 12.9 inch and one's the 11 inch. And so the plan is to put a paper like on my personal one because I'm going to be using it. And everyone's asking about, are you really going to do that? So you guys can see and I'll show the two 12.9 inches side by side. And I'm guessing most people are, you probably may not even be able to tell. But anyways, you know, if I can only have up to two terabytes, and one of my video edits is 1.3 something terabytes. I gotta work with some kind of external storage, right? To, to really have a decent workflow. So LumaFusion um, is coming out with uh, some really great new features. Two of the big things that have kept me from editing in LumaFusion on the iPad Pro, just you know, as my main thing, like why I basically keep a Mac around anyways, 
um, other than uh, proper external display support, <laughs> among a few other things, you know, there was two features that were missing. One was basic stabilization. That's coming. Uh, I don't know when, but it's coming. And so I'm excited about that because I do a lot of handheld shots and I got to be able to stabilize. And I don't want to do it externally through a third-party app and then, you know, re-export and import that. And the other thing, and it was a big thing, is multi-cam editing, which basically every video I do has a multi-cam component. So usually when I'm at that desk, that colorful desk right now, you see the wood background, what's happening is there's two cameras aimed at me. And right now one's getting a, a kind of a close shot of me and one's getting a wide angle. So there's those. And then I got a top-down shot. Sometimes I have a side shot. Sometimes it's like a shot from a camera, like over my shoulder behind me, looking at the desk. It just depends what I'm doing. You know, if it's an unboxing or more of an informational video, how many cameras I'm running, but always um, there's a multi-cam component. And then of course I'll layer in B-roll over that too. So, and I, you know, the way that you had to do multi-cam stuff in LumaFusion previously, prior to this new update that's coming out, it was kind of convoluted and it wasn't intuitive enough for me to be like, okay, I'm gonna ditch Final Cut Pro, which has all these great plugins and that whole ecosystem for LumaFusion and the iPad. And so there's still some kinks to work out. Um, but I'm excited about those two developments and it could be that I'll actually start really relying on the iPad in the next year for real content on the site. And I know a lot of people are there already, they, they do it, but also a lot of people aren't me and they don't do all the multi-cam stuff that I do. So, so I'm really excited about that. And, and just in the iPad arena in general, I am excited about WWDC coming up. I've talked about that a lot on the channel. I really hope to see some improvements with the Files app. Uh, that's been a bit of a frustration for you know me and for other people. Just little things like not knowing how long it's gonna take for a file to copy uh, from one place to another. <laughs> you know that it's copying, but you don't know how long it's gonna take, for instance. That, like, there's little things. Obviously, external display support. Really interested to see if Apple's gonna come through with that uh, or not. It seems to be a big sticking point both for Apple and for consumers. And then just multitasking stuff. People complain about it all the time and there's like all these different views floating around. People are like, well, if you got started on the iPad, you'd feel like the Mac was weird for its multitasking. But if you get started on the Mac, which is the majority of people, and then you move over to the iPad, well, then it feels weird and constricted and whatever. And personally, they're, you know, they are just very different. For a lot of the things that I do though, I do it on my iPad. When I'm putting together a video, it's often on the iPad in the split screen. It works okay, and I'll get the slide over going, and you know I can do my research and my notes that way and be pretty happy with it. On the other hand, uh, you know when the Apple event hit, I don't know if I already described this, but I had like six notes windows open for this last Apple event, and there was one for just like my general notes, and then I had like pre-scripted a few videos, kind of. Uh, with I'd pre-filled in some things that I knew I was going to want to say if certain things were announced and lo and behold if they were then I had kind of a jump on it and I could kind of fill it in with my thoughts and with new information as it was announced and it really allowed me to get a jump on it uh, before uh, you know you know just to be a little bit more proficient and and well efficient I guess when the uh, event hit and being able to pump out the content because we are a smaller team. And, you know, I know a lot of the other teams uh, have support help also watching the events, uh, putting together, kind of doing the same thing, actually, uh, a script and stuff and notes so that once the event's done, hey, you know, whatever the personality is, they can just get started with the filming and, and get that content out there. And some people are maybe like recording, uh, you know, bits of and clips and whatever. And I all those six windows plus another window open, or I can't remember if I watched it on the iPad and had the six things open on my, uh, the six notes open on my ultra wide monitor, but I had the Apple event going, I had the notes going, I had a browser open. You just can't do that on an iPad. And that's not a normal everyday occurrence, that kind of thing for me. But you know, there's just things you can't do on an iPad still. And so I'm hopeful that WWDC is gonna be really awesome. And not just for the iPad, but for the Mac. I'm excited to see what happens there too. And just to see what, if any, you know, type of more convergence may happen between the two systems. Uh, of course, what's gonna be new in iOS. It's gonna be very exciting. There's rumors that we're gonna have some new hardware too. I'll just briefly say, if the 14 inch, if the 16 inch MacBook Pro gets announced with an M1X or an M2, then I plan on being all over it because that's something I could actually use. The 13 inch 
MacBook Pro, um, that just wasn't for me. Didn't have enough ports for one thing, although I do like the size. The iMac, also just not for me, just because of the size, number one. Uh, although I could hook that up. You can hook it up to at least one external monitor up to 6K, remind you of anything. Uh, so, you know, you can do some interesting setups. You can use Sidecar, but but it, I don't know. The, so there's just not a Mac out, including the Mac Mini yet with Apple Silicon that I am ready to buy. Although, you know, often I play the game like, well, what if I wasn't a tech reviewer? And what if uh, I didn't just have all this stuff and I had to make the decision like, what one thing would I get? You know, if I was just doing average regular computing stuff, or if I was a student and I was taking notes and stuff, that'd be a totally different thing. And you know what? I'd be looking at all the stuff that's already announced. But because I'm often editing multiple streams of 100-bit footage off the A7S III and several other cameras, uh, you know, and maybe get the HDR workflow going, yeah, yeah. I mean, I need some extra power. And I got to think about, you know, into the future, what if we expand into 8K and some other things? And how many streams of 8K then can I support? And, you know, so, yeah, I, I've been waiting specifically for this 16-inch, although I'm going to take a look at the 14-inch, if that's indeed going to be a thing. Yeah, and, and just see. But I, that's something I'm looking forward to as well. And it sounds like there's a really good chance of that manifesting and appearing at WWDC as well. Um, What else? What else has been interesting? Um, I continue to do a lot of uh, reading and to do some audiobooks, a lot of podcasts. The most recent audiobook that I've been getting into is called Money for Nothing by Thomas Levinson. And this is one uh, that was recommended to me somewhere, not to me personally, just uh, recommended to people who are into crypto, uh, cryptocurrency, which is something I've been getting into. And it's very, 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 very fascinating. Of all the books I could have picked on the history of money, I can't believe I landed on this one because it's been so fascinating. It talks about Isaac Newton and some other scientists and the start of the Royal Society and the early natural philosophers, which we would call scientists today, and their impact on, well, London, on England in particular. And this is like, we're like talking 1600s, 1700s. Not only scientifically, but also when it came to the monetary system. So it talks about that, which I'm very fascinated by, obviously, uh, if you guys have listened to this podcast before, you would realize why. And then it also talks about uh, things like how the first stock exchange got started. But then it even had a big section about coffee. Like, I'm just like amazed. Every chapter is like something I'm super interested in. And the first coffee shop that hit London and uh, the knockoffs. And uh, oh, man, it's been a really good one. If you're looking for something that's just kind of different, which I was, from your normal categories I could actually really recommend this one. Money for nothing. I've been fascinated. But I guess since I brought it up, I'll just say I, I have been getting into crypto stuff a little bit, which depending on who you are, you're going to be like, oh, really? That's interesting. Or you're going to be like, that's a scam or whatever. People are all over the map, all over the radar with it. Honestly, I, I think I have to include this disclaimer. I'm not any kind of financial advisor. So don't take any of my actions and things I say as financial advice. Please do all your own research seek out actual professionals. But, you know, not too long ago, I got set up on Coinbase. I can link up um, a link for you if you want to get started down there and get yourself some free Bitcoin for signing up. And I've been doing a ton of research, getting into it, not just for um, the trading aspect. And uh, a lot of people get into it because they're just like, oh, I think I can make a quick buck. Not interested in that. I'm not interested in doing day trading or anything like that, but more um, kind of having some fun. It's a good break from just the tech world and, and Apple stuff all the time. Gives me something else to kind of think about and concentrate on, and that's important. It's become kind of a hobby, actually, to the point where if it does make money, and obviously uh, I, I, would, I wouldn't be investing any money if I didn't want to make money. And by the way, they always say, don't invest anything you can't afford to lose. So if you're like new to this space, um, these are things to keep in mind, again, not financial advice, because I don't want people to be like, oh, Chris is into it. Well, safe then, because we trust Chris and, and go get in. No, 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 no. You do your own research. I have been having some fun getting into the technology side of it. So there's some uh, cryptocurrency that it's junk, honestly. It, it is junk. You've heard of Dogecoin. I'm not into that. I'm not inv investing into that because it was a joke. Maybe some places are going to start accepting it. I don't care about that. I I'm not touching it. I don't want it. But 
other things with real world applications where you know decentralized apps can be created um, DeFi, if you've ever heard this buzzword, technologies that can actually help the unbanked around the world um, in various ways. There are technologies that are helping like shipping companies track their inventory. There's a lot of interesting signals from governments all over the world, uh, both positive and negative towards crypto assets that all of this stuff I'm just taking in, I'm digging into and uh, finding uh finding it all very interesting. And so as I was doing some research, I came across uh, people like, well, hey, if you're really into the you know crypto stuff, if you're getting into it, you should check out Money for Nothing and, and, and kind of go through the history of you know stock exchanges and, and you know see when bonds were issued for the first time and why and um, all these different uh, debt classes, how people turned debt into an asset class, basically. It's all just very fascinating. And if you're playing a drinking game, I guess uh, the, the word here is fascinating for today. So yeah, I can say I'm very proud of the fact that uh, I bought into Polygon, which is formerly Matic, before Mark Cuban. <laughs> In fact, I was like, no, I wish Mark would stay out uh, because I didn't want to drive the price up quite yet. But you have all these people who are really into Ethereum and really into Cardano and you kind of have these tribes or some people almost call them like cults. And it's, you know, there's all these deep discussions about which blockchain and, and side chain and, and technology is going to be the most beneficial in the real world. And is it a winner take all game or is it going to be multiple winners? And just for me in my little world, it's kind of a fun way to like, you know, do a little bit of uh, investing in a way that. At one point, I thought I would really like to get into venture capital, I'll just say. And I've been on both sides of it, pitching investors and, you know, thinking like, well, hey, but someday, uh, to the point where I was talking to some people about, you know, actually starting up a fund or something, you know, I was really into the startup world at, at one point. But having gone a different direction, it is kind of fun for me to dig in and say, hey, you know what, I, I think I believe in this one. And it'd be fun to see how this turns out. And it's been an interesting time because I haven't been into it for that long. I've been talking to uh, Danny Winget, uh, who recently got into crypto as well. And we've been having some uh, interesting conversations about which cryptos uh, we're liking and not. And anyways, it, it's been a good time and that's been a good book. But speaking of investing, something else that I've really been putting a lot of mental energy into is just, I, I heard somebody, well, let me back up. Somebody I know, graduated from like a two-year course that they were in and there were some speakers at this graduation and one of the speakers was talking about a book that they had read and there was a quote in there that is talking about how we spend our days our hours our days is actually how we spend our life and it got me thinking about you know you can invest basically two things money or time. And I've talked about that before on the podcast. And just to briefly recap, if you feel like, you know, I don't have $1,000 to put towards anything to start a business or, or whatever, uh, or $50,000 or a million dollars to do something with, well, what you do have, whoever you are, is time, right? And when you invest your time towards something, which is very much what I did with Daily Tech, because uh, I also didn't have, well, you know, I, I did <laughs> take my... Uh, retirement savings, my wife and I were like, hey, let's do this full time. And we took our retirement savings and put it into the business, which was a gamble, but we, you know, believed in ourselves and, and did it and it really paid off and we're glad that we did. But also I didn't have like a million dollars either. And what I really ended up investing even more than money was time. And I knew this is something I wanted to do for five to seven, 10 years down the road. And it wasn't just something where I was like, I'm going to put three months into it. And, and if it takes off right away, great. No, I was like, I'm going to be here. I'm going to learn how to do it. And uh, if in five to seven years, you know, things are going really well, um, great. But in the meantime, I'm just kind of learning. And I, I intend for this to be successful no matter what, you know, I'm going to really do it. Anyways, you can invest your time, whoever you are, and find success, even if you don't have money to invest. But just on the topic of kind of becoming who we are, it really struck me that thought of how we're spending our time, our hours, our days is what in how in fact we spent our life. Like I've spent a lot of time video gaming. Is that how I want to have spent my life just in a virtual world? You know, wouldn't I have rather have spent that time with my family, for instance, or have I done things to really be, you know, impactful and beneficial to my fellow 
human beings, you know, other than providing tech, you know, insights, <laughs> anything more meaningful. Because those minutes and those hours and those days and the months, they add up to years, you know? And as I reflect back, I'm like, you know, maybe some of these years, I, I haven't spent some of those months and hours and minutes and days the way that I really wish that I would have. And the older I get, I'm like, well, I'm gonna be hitting a point where it's like, if I don't do something differently, the majority of my life maybe will be have spent in a way that, you know, maybe isn't the way that I wish I would have to have had a bigger, greater impact on the world. And, you know, maybe it means being a little bit less selfish uh, with my time. So I don't, I'm not trying to drive at anything here. It's just something that fascinated me. And we started talking about, you know, crypto and investing. And I just wanted to throw that out there, like reflect on how you're spending your time a little bit, because it is when it all adds up, what your life adds up to. And the final thought on that is just like people say, you can't take your money with you when you die. That's the famous saying, right? Can't take it with you. Well, you also can't take those hours with you any more than you can take those dollars. The two things that you can invest, both time and money, can't go with you beyond death. And so, yeah, you, you just can't get this time back. So make it count, I guess, is all I'm saying. Not to be cheesy, but it's just what I've been thinking about. While I was at this uh, graduation, friend's graduation, the friend had introduced me, unfortunately, and maybe not 100% accurately, <laughs> as uh, a big YouTube star. And I, they were just trying to be nice, you know, because I'm not really a big YouTube star. But when you introduce somebody that way in a room, uh, it attracts attention. So somebody came up to me afterwards and I said, well, since you're the internet guy, what about this and that? And asking me about stuff that I really had no interest uh, discussing. And uh, it really turned out they were kind of sadly looking for like some get rich quick internet stuff. It's getting to the, the point. And I know it's like, oh, boo hoo, right? But, but where the channel's big enough that I kind of have to think about who I tell that what I do, you know, for my job and the things that I include in the videos and the way that maybe other people like in this situation interact with me and, and introduce me uh, because people can just get weird about stuff. You know, Austin Evans was talking about this. I, I caught some clip of him um, talking about the best way for people to connect with him if they wanted to do a collaboration because he wasn't against doing collaborations and helping people. But he's like, a lot of people underestimate the human element. And a lot of people just kind of treat you like a vending machine once they're like, oh, oh, hey, you're this internet person and, and you've accumulated an audience for yourself. You know, everyone starts demanding handouts, kind of, whether that's information or a shout out or free gadgets, you know. And what people often miss out on is that human element. Like, no, wait, these are people. Yes, they're influencers. Yes, life's been good to them, whether that's of their own doing or maybe there's an element of luck or whatever. But, you know, the the larger the channel gets, and I can even do this on a per video basis. When a video does outperforms the others, does very well, income, all of the comments about, hey, can I get this free phone? Or, hey, what are you gonna do with your extra devices? Or uh, all yada, yada, yada. Like people just treat you like a vending machine. And even there was somebody I met uh, locally here and and I posted something on Instagram uh, after we'd actually had like a FaceTime call and they started making all these comments uh, on the Instagram about oh hey I could use this extra thing or or that because I posted about some stuff I was going to take to Goodwill and there went the human element you know which I was trying to establish with somebody uh, and I just became a vending machine and people just it's weird because you kind of have to insulate, and I hate to say this, but you know, other YouTubers get it uh, and, and other people who do similar things, but those are the people who you can relate to and talk to. And it's weird because you start to have to abstract away from like reality a little bit because when you interact with people who don't do YouTube, you know, that's often the first 99% of the time you become a vending machine to people, whether again, it's information, or product, um, some kind of hookup that they're looking for, even if it's just a selfie or something, you know? And it depends, again, what like what mood or setting you're in 
um, with the selfie thing. Because if I'm at an Apple event, of course, I don't mind doing a selfie or whatever. That's cool. That's flattering. It's nice. But at the same time, if you're just like out in public, do you really want that? Not, not always, you know? So it's often, you know, just about like what people can get from you. So <laughs> I don't know where I'm going. We're just having a chat, right? Every time that we do a podcast, it's kind of just like two friends hanging out. Hopefully that's the vibe I'm trying to put out. But I will just say, if you ever find yourself meeting a YouTuber or anybody who could qualify as, you know, either famous or semi-famous or whatever, just think about it as, you know, this is a human and they're not a vending machine and you will make such a big impression on them if you treat them like human, if you don't go asking for something, you use your judgment if you want a selfie or not. Uh, because that's probably the least offensive thing. But uh, there will be a respect, I can tell you, if you encounter somebody and you don't ask for something. The second that you ask for something, whether you think you deserve it or they don't deserve having whatever you think they have extra of or something, you can earn their respect and they'll they'll think of you very differently um, if you treat them like a human. So just something to keep in mind. On the other hand, I think the quickest way to shut down an actual honest interaction with somebody who's, you know, has a following is to ask for something. And, you know, this goes back before I was a YouTuber. Um, I worked at a magazine for a while. And I remember, I've always been rather ambitious. I set up an interview, even though this magazine had really not a very big reach. I finagled an interview with a head coach of a famous college football team who is very good a very famous coach basically and I'm a no-namer and my wife was like you know uh, be cool like don't ask him you know for a selfie and autograph and stuff and I didn't and I think I probably on, on it was like the opposite end of the spectrum I kind of came off probably as almost not disinterested but just like super professional so professional I was like on to the next thing without almost even paying attention to uh, how famous this person was. And I reflect back on this one because I'm like, that was good. That was cool on my part uh, to not overdo it and not, you know, be too much of a fanboy. And uh, what I did get was the interview, which was good for the resume. And uh, I kept my respect too, my self-respect. Oh, uh, switching topics here. Here's something that's kind of interesting. So somebody reached out, and this happens from time to time. Somebody reached out in an email cold email with an acquisition offer for the YouTube channel. Now, I've been around for a while when it comes to internet stuff, right? I've run several blogs um, and they ratcheted up their success and renown as I went. Started in the design world and then obviously got into tech stuff and then that turned into video and not text. And along the journey, there's been several acquisition offers, right? And, you know, at some time in the past, I, I did consider selling one of the blogs uh, and ultimately I didn't and the details are hazy they're fuzzy actually um, I'd like to sound noble and say I turned it down because it wasn't about the money and what I, I but I just don't I don't even remember why it just didn't work out for whatever reason and probably that's a good thing because I've ended up where I am and I'm happy with where I am so whatever but it's funny to me that somebody would offer <laughs> to buy my YouTube channel this is such a personal thing for me right if someone were to buy this, I don't even think they understand what that means to me. What's gonna happen with my image, with my face? You know, some other person's gonna own all this content now. What about the brand that I built up and the trust that I built up with my audience? How would my audience feel about that if I sell uh, to just some random person that happened to call? You know, like, I don't think people thought that through or this person thought this through. I, and I didn't even, we didn't respond. Uh, we didn't even think about it. We just kind of laughed it off. Like, are they serious? I don't know how much money they were gonna pay and I don't care. I have no idea what the actual monetary value of Daily Tech is as a company. And, uh, you know, because again, this is not something I'm thinking of. Someday in the future, if I end up going the route of say Rhett and Link and building like a big empire and, and starting other channels and whatever, which has occurred to me, I don't know what the future holds for Daily Tech. Uh, maybe I'll just abscond one day uh, and I just won't upload anymore and I'll go do something else. I have no idea. But, you know, if I did the whole Empire thing, and you know, it's possible that I could sell it that way someday and, you know, introduce other personalities that could 
help uh, take over and and in the you know kind of like Steve Jobs transitioned you know Apple to uh, you know other people and it's turned out okay maybe I could do that I don't know you know Lou talked about what would happen uh, with unbox therapy in one of his Lou later episodes and uh, you know the comments were interesting to me as a YouTuber some people were like yeah I'd keep watching and some people were like no no it dies with Lou you know that Lou's the whole thing and and so I don't even I, I'm just this is pure conjecture I don't even know how I feel about it and I, but what I'm saying is I don't know what the you know dollar value would be um, if somebody actually wanted to to buy it. But I do know what it means to me. And like I said, you know, having been very interested in the startup world, talking to a lot of investors and stuff in the past, one thing because actually daily tech, one of the things that I used to be more interested in was startups, you know, tech startups, not just uh, consumer tech products. But daily tech is very meaningful to me. It's a journey that I've been on. It's a relationship with the audience, with you guys. It's effort um, that I've put in. It's my knowledge base. It's kind of like my legacy. It's going to be, or at least a legacy. And there's all these stories of founders who sold their company and then regretted it. And the money just wasn't even worth it. And they didn't realize it until it was all gone and their company's out of their hands. And then what do they have to spend their time on and, and to work with? Because it turns out, that the building of the thing was the thing for them. It wasn't the end goal of like selling or getting rich or, you know, whatever their moon was, their moonshot. Yeah, <laughs> whoever this person was clearly had no idea how a YouTuber like myself would actually think about what they've created. It's not like uh, I'm, I don't know, The Verge, which is owned by Vox Media, right? And it's a, an asset as part of a company that's available to go on the chopping block and be sold and parceled out. No, this is my very personal thing. And I care about what happens to the videos and to my image and to my personality and how I'm portrayed and how people perceive me and the company and the brand and the trust, like I said, that I built up. That all really matters. And I, I don't, somebody could come in and offer me 10, 20, $50 million. And I just don't think I would take that. At some point, you, you just get to the point where you're like, no, you know, I'm, I'm making it. And, uh, and it's fun. And this, this is the thing, you know, what I'm doing. The thing is not selling. So it's silly. I can't believe that somebody reached out with a cold email uh, about it. And they had some little portfolio of other little sites, blogs that look like, um, and they were trying to get a video property or aspect going. And, uh, I don't know. Actually, it was it was kind of offensive, actually. Uh, OK, I, I think uh, we've talked about all kinds of stuff. One thing I could talk about, if you guys ever wonder, like, what does Chris watch on YouTube outside of tech stuff? There's one category of things I've been getting into a little bit, and I'm sure it's a category. Every now and then you just stumble down upon some new rabbit hole that's like a whole category you had no idea existed. And uh, that category is the relaxing walk. I don't know what it's really called, but there's this one account in particular. Uh, I have no affiliation. I don't know anything about this person or anything, but and I'm not sure how I stumbled upon it. But uh, the channel is Relaxing Walker, and it's a guy who never talks. He just holds up a camera on a gimbal, so it's nice and smooth, and walks around Israel. It happens to be Israel. And, you know, I've done some searches. There's people who do this in New York, uh, in London. Yeah, you know, LA, anywhere that there's a major city and probably elsewhere too. There's probably somebody in the middle of nowhere doing it. Um, there's people who just basically fire up the camera and, and go around and document, you know? And when I like to watch it, me and my wife is when we're on the treadmill or we're exercising, because it's almost like you're walking. Uh, but this one channel has kind of become like our favorite to go to because he puts out a lot of new content several times a week and he'll go through cities. Because I've never been to Israel. I have no idea what it's like. Um, and he'll go to some tourist attractions. He'll be out in nature. And it's just been fascinating. It's like you like to people watch, you know, kind of. It's, and that's one thing that's like weird. I don't think I could do this kind of a channel because I would feel bad recording other people's faces and stuff. Uh, and sometimes, and like license plates. I don't know. It just doesn't seem right in, in one sense as a creator, as someone who runs a camera, to not ask permission, but yet capture people and then put it on display publicly. So that's why I don't think I could ever do something like that. But I do find it like interesting to watch 
which I hate to say in a way because of what I just said. But yeah, it's so interesting seeing how a country I've never been to operates, what it looks like, how similar certain things are, and just kind of soaking in a different culture a little bit through the lens of, in this case, the relaxing walker. And, uh, you know, sometimes the videos are like 12 minutes, sometimes they're like an hour and a half. And uh, yeah, we've watched like several of these because it's almost just something to do. It's become a, a, a name around the house. Oh, should we put on relaxing walker? Yeah. It makes for good background content. You know, it's uh, you know, there's other things too that it, I guess would fall into the slow TV or relaxing category. For instance, like train rides. We watched a couple of those through the Swiss mountains. Those are pretty interesting. <laughs> you know, feel like you're taped to the front of a train going through. Uh, there's some bird channels, you know. It's funny. There's, you know what's really funny? There's some of these channels, like, now I say this with respect. All they're doing is firing up the camera and walking around. And they're getting hundreds of thousands of views, right? And sometimes I will sit there and spend a week on a script and just thinking about every little point and how to say something just right and bring, delivering all this value so someone can make their purchase decision. 10,000 views or something on the low end, you know, sometimes 500,000 views or, or, you know, almost a million views, but oftentimes not, you know, and it makes you think like, hmm, well, uh, maybe I'm, I'm doing the wrong thing here, but then obviously not because I'm very passionate about this. I enjoy it. I would do it anyways, basically, you know, but it does make you think. I was like, man, what, what's like the Apple version of a slow TV channel? Is it just somebody working on a device for an hour and a half, like a work with me type of video? I've seen a study with me videos. I haven't actually watched any because it seems like a different demographic kind of, but you know, I don't know. If you guys have ideas, you let me know because I'm fascinated by the slow TV, Apple or tech, you know, theme channel. Um, but yeah, but you know, we've sat there and watched a bird feeder. It's just somebody set up a, a camera with really high quality, you know, camera and lens, good lighting, good coloring, and just watch the birds eat, you know, that can be kind of entertaining. It's interesting. No one's talking. Uh, it's just basically nature. Uh, as I describe it, it probably sounds really boring. It's almost sounds boring in my own head, but I have found a lot of those very interesting, from, you know, especially the walking videos. I guess especially during COVID, because as a lot of people weren't able to travel, like most of us, right, we we're just kind of cooped up. It was like you could go and experience this whole back catalog of actual, you know, something was happening without having to get out of the house. Or I should say, despite not being able to sometimes get out of the house. And, uh, oh, you know, that that should uh, lead me into one other thing. I got a new lens for the a7S III. If you didn't know, a7S III is the main camera that I shoot on here. And I have some other supporting cameras. Uh, sometimes I shoot on my iPhone too, you know, throw that in the mix. Uh, but some A6600s and whatever. But the A7S III, I got a new lens. I have my eye on this new lens. Um, I decided 35 millimeters was the perfect length, focal length, for the A-roll shots. Those cropped in shots of when I'm talking and saying something real interesting, which believe it or not, is not all the time. I edit out plenty from the videos that you guys actually end up seeing. But uh, I wanted a 35 mil. Sigma, which is kind of like a budget lens maker, had come out with a new 35 mil that was pretty fast, which means without going into all the details, it'll give you a pretty blurry background. Uh, but then I was talking over with my wife. She's like, no, just get the Sony G Master, which was a new lens. Sony's been just crushing it, releasing all these amazing lenses. Uh, so they have like regular lenses for the a7s3 and then they have the g master lenses which is like their top of the line um no corners cut and obviously you you end up paying a little bit of a premium she's like no just get the the g master 35. so i did and wow wow it was awesome the first video i tried it in was the imac video so if it looks a little bit crispier a little bit um more professional that's probably why now i ordered a, a polar pro nd mist filter to go along with it um, and I paid for overnight shipping. This is not a cheap filter. It's not a cheap lens either. And so I wanted this filter overnighted so I could use it on the new G Master, paid like 35 bucks for the overnight shipping. It hasn't even shipped yet. And uh, kind of disappointed, you know, it was a Peter McKinnon filter. So he lent his name to it. Oh, I enjoy Polar Pro's uh, podcast too, and some of their content. I haven't really messed around with too many of their products. So this is kind of dipping my toes into Polar Pro. Uh, for the first time and i was kind of disappointed like the label hasn't even been created have you guys ever had that where you order something you get the tracking you check the tracking and it says uh label created 
but it hasn't even shipped. And especially if you pay for overnight shipping, like, come on. So that's a little disappointing because the deal is uh, this lens is so fast that it lets in so much light, you almost need to dial it back if you want to get the major benefits, like a really blurry background. Um, you need something like an ND filter, especially if I'm shooting like an, an iPhone or an iPad or a Mac, those are bright screens and any source of light is going to get washed out if you don't use an ND filter. Maybe you guys didn't realize how crazy it gets just filming simple tech videos, right? Really though, a, a lot of work does go into it. Sometimes it's fun. I think I've said before, I'm not a super camera nerd. I've learned to enjoy the ins and outs of camera stuff, but I'm not even super well-versed in all the best camera settings and stuff. I am the type of person who will go and check out the camera niche uh, and look up the A7S III guys, the people who are really into camera stuff, like I'm into Apple stuff, and get their recommended settings and dial those in. And you know, I know just enough to be dangerous, uh, but not always uh, super great. But I think you can see there's been a progression over the years, especially recently, of of things looking better and sounding better. Hopefully, uh, on the channel, and and hopefully, actually, um, the information and the value being transmitted. Um, through the videos has been going up in terms of volume as well. I've been trying to be more information dense. That's a good place to wrap this up and just say, I appreciate you guys. Um, thanks for hanging out with this podcast and hanging in there when there's not a podcast some weeks. Hopefully I'll figure out the schedule and, and do this more often. Um, I see that I've recorded for like an hour and three minutes here. So that probably means it's going to be like 40 or 50 minutes by the time it's all edited down. But that's a good solid session. I'm trying to drop the iPad Pro review this coming week. Oh, hey, if you stuck around to the end, I got a little present for you. <laughs> it's not really a present, but uh, I recorded this on the new iPad Pro. But I used the Mic Plus from Apogee, which I did feature in an iPad accessories or a Mac accessories video at some point. It's a USB-C mic. It's a little mic, which means it's really portable, um, but it does work with the iPad and the iPad Pro here. I'm using Ferrite Pro to record it, that's the app. And so this probably sounds a little bit different than when I'm using the Rode setup, which would be you know a bigger microphone and an actual uh, podcasting soundboard and setup with you know preamps and, and all the goodies. So it probably doesn't sound quite as good as maybe the last podcast if you were to compare them and just hit play on both, but it should sound pretty good. And I just wanted to do this in order to just to let you guys know what it's like to podcast on the iPad Pro, which is super portable and nice. I've really been enjoying it uh, using something like the Mic Plus. And actually, I did a little sample for myself before I started doing this, and I recorded with the internal mics and with the Mic Plus. I thought the Mic Plus sounded just a little bit better. And also, it lets me monitor the audio. So I can plug in uh, my headphones professional monitoring headphones to the bottom of the mic plus even though it is a pretty small compact mic and hear myself talk which is important because you want to know if you're coming through good you want to know if it's peaking so so yeah if you're trying to get into podcasts you got an ipad um that's i'll try to link up this mic for you uh and that's your present <laughs> to know that this is recorded on the ipad pro because everyone that bugged out already doesn't know that um, and then what mic i was using so i'll try to link that up for you but that's it for this podcast and i'll catch you guys next time Later.